0: The Disciplined Investor is underwritten by Interactive Brokers. Interactive Brokers charges USD margin loan rates from 0.75% to 1.59%. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Learn more at ibkr.com slash compare.
1: The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success.
0: Markets take a little breather. The winning streak has ended. Make no mistake, though, inflation is trending higher. And we're getting back to basics again this week. Some tax help with our guest, Dan Pila. All this and much more on episode number 740 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Well, hello there. It's Andrew Horowitz here in the studio over uh, at Horowitz & Company. What a week we had. A wild week, wasn't it? But great news. Kind of interesting because the TDI managed growth strategy that we managed hit another, an all-time high this week. And this is our long, short strategy. So if you think about that, pretty good. We're considering the fact that uh, we can go both long or short or hedge and one of the reasons is some of the positions in our core portfolio component have been just absolutely on fire. And I say that because probably you have the same situation going on right now, too. And the question is, what do you do with that? And along with the market moving up and things are doing well, the question is, you know, how do you handle when you have a position that has really just grown so dramatically? One of the things we do on a regular basis is a little bit of a, a trim, a little pruning. Because once we get a big enough position that overwhelms the amount from a, from a risk tolerance standpoint, from a risk management standpoint in the portfolio, it's, it's, it's really, it's a good idea to take a little bit off, take some of your profits and let the, the rest ride. You know, it, it just makes some sense. And, you know, you look at things in the portfolio, for example, I was looking at this week, not only the core positions, but also our, our swing positions had a couple of names in the last couple of weeks that just were well-timed and extraordinary, explosive moves. So with that, again, same thing. Be very careful. Watch where you're at. Make sure that you don't have an overexposure to any area. So that's good. But anyway, I'm very pleased with all that. Uh, in other news, I want to give you a quick heads up. We'll be having a uh, our annual, and this will be our annual because it's the second time doing this. <laughs> we're having our annual... Looking Back, Looking Forward, Looking Ahead webinar. It's going to be interactive. You can ask questions, get answers. Mark your calendar down, December 15th at 5 p.m. And links are going to be available in the the show notes. Links are going to be available on the sidebar on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. And, yes, registration is open now. So if you do want to get in, it's free, of course, doing this because everybody's asked us to do this. After last year where we ran the weekly series where we did the after hours Q&A, if you remember that, that was really, really not only popular, but really successful from the aspect of helping a lot of people answer questions that they had. Well, here we are getting towards the end of the year and on top of the education that we do within the show, the podcast, we also have some ways for you to have more time and more personalization where you can ask questions. So we usually open up the questions and let go as long as we can until uh, we exhaust everybody's questions. But we're going to go over some of the things that maybe are the thematic components of 2021 and then also what we're looking for and some of the pr- surprise that may be in store for us in 2022 looking at various asset classes and areas around the world. So something important to take a look at. And then one more thing I want to get to. We have this great guest coming up, but one more thing I want to get to, because a lot of people have asked and it's a, that time of year. And the big question is, hey, Andrew, what are you doing with your uh, turkey this year for Thanksgiving? A lot of you follow my food. Uh, well, the, the the cooking and the eating and the drinking and all stuff. I have a Instagram account. If you haven't followed that, is Dad Bod Food Blog. Dad Bod Food Blog. It's dedicated to my 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 journeys through the world of eating and drinking and and playing. It's only food on there, mostly only food. But uh, this year, you know, I do a lot of work in the area of uh, smoking, and uh, in particular, I use my Traeger to cook a lot of things. Well, this year, because last year was so great, I'm going to do the turkey spatchcocked. I'm going to brine it overnight with some fragrances and spices, and then I'm going to cook it on the smoker in a spatchcock style because last year when I did this for the first time, to my incredible surprise, it was so juicy. It was so tasty. It was so delicious and delightful. Thinking about maybe making some kind of a, a chorizo stuffing to go along with it. I don't know. I'll thinking about that. Anyway, I'd love to hear what you're going to be doing as well. You can hit me up on Twitter. Andrew Horowitz one word with the exact spelling of my name if there is something that has any change in the spelling it's a fraud account so just go to Andrew Horowitz on Twitter as that and then again Instagram Instagram the Insta you can go to Dad Bod Food Blog I just look up my name you'll see me chowing down a sandwich on my picture so we got that too uh <clears throat> got a quick discussion here before we get to our guest I want to mention interactive brokers and uh, you know crypto has become extremely popular for certain people that like to trade that 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 wants more information a lot of places are making it a lot easier to deal with and you can trade crypto for less coin on interactive brokers professional grade platform because why pay hidden fees and spreads of I don't know one to two percent to other brokers? Commissions and interactive brokers are just 12 to 18 basis points with no hidden spreads, markups, or custody fees. Plus, you can trade stocks and options and futures, fiat currencies, bonds, and more from the same integrated platform. Learn more at IBKR.com slash crypto. With that, let's get plugged in with this week's guest for the topic, Back to Basics, end of year tax planning and tax help with our guest. So here we are with Dan Pila. And Dan is an expert in IRS procedures and a a big advocate of taxpayer rights. He's the author of How to Win Your Tax Audit. He's also, I think, the author of 15 other books. Dan's primary calling is that of a tax litigator. He's considered America's leader in taxpayer defense, taxpayer rights, and IRS abuse prevention and cure. Regarding uh, regarded as one of the country's uh, premier experts in iris procedures so i wanted to talk to dan today about a variety of things because we have some new tax code some things that are going on with uh, new stimulus issues and taxes and a lot of questions and here we are it's the end of the year so i thought we would kind of find out maybe there's some ideas we can drum up to save us some taxes into next year so dan how are you it's been a while since you've been on the show everything good in your neck of the woods
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everything's really good. We just finished our annual, uh, uh, defense conference where I do two days, two and a half days of teaching for attorneys and accountants, uh, for continuing legal education. And that's always a big drain and it's a great deal of fun to, to do the, actually do the seminar, but it's a big relief to be done with it. So that's, uh, that's good.
0: Yeah. I'm on a daily defense, uh, program at my own house with my wife. (laughs) You know, I'm always on the defense, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so let's talk about the task code code. Cause that's something you specialize in. And, and, you know, first of all, maybe I should ask this cause you've been on a, a variety of times and, and I don't know if I've ever asked this, but what got you interested in, in doing this kind of work?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. It's a question that's asked a lot. You know, I don't, I think most 16 year old kids grow up, uh, you know, go through high school saying, I, you know, I want to be a tax litigator yeah. when I grow up. <laughs> uh, actually, I wanted to be a shortstop in the major leagues, but I couldn't run, hit, catch, or throw. So that was out. Uh, but uh, I, I tell you, I got started in this business in uh, the late 1970s, believe it or not, as a result of problems my father had with the IRS. He had a small business in our hometown of St. Paul, Minnesota, got behind on his employees withholding taxes. And in 1974, the IRS padlocked the doors of his business. They auctioned the equipment off for a couple cents on the dollar. And then in uh, 78, 79, they turned their attention to our family home and tried to seize it and sell it for the back tax liability. And that's when I got involved. It was just quite literally a matter of desperation trying help my mom find a solution to the problem that my dad couldn't possibly solve. And uh, and what happened that I, I came home one day and my mom's sitting at the kitchen table with this letter from the IRS in her hand. And she hands me this thing and she says, what do you make of this? And I read the letter and I said, well, it looks like they're gonna try to seize the house. And she said, well, what the heck do we do? And of course I had no idea what to do. I was 18, 19 about the, at that time. So I I, I did what any, uh, you know, what any kid would do under the circumstances. I went over to the local, law school, law library. And I started fumbling around in the, in the internal revenue code. Uh, and I didn't know what I was looking for. I was just literally fumbling through it. And I stumbled onto an area of the tax code that deals with IRS, uh, uh, which, which deals with taxpayers rights and limits the power of the IRS. And I, of course I start reading in this section of the Hmm. code. I didn't get eight pages into it and discovered that the IRS was proceeding illegally to seize my mother's home. So again, I did what any 18 year old would do under the circumstances. I, sued the IRS. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, pretty soon I found myself in a, court, a federal courtroom in Minneapolis in front of a federal judge. And the IRS actually flew a uh, an attorney in from the United States Department of Justice Tax Division from Washington, D.C. to have my case thrown out. And, uh, and I stood up in front of the judge and I said, hey, judge, you know, the, the law says this and they're trying to take my mother's home and she's got no interest in this. And, you know, it just they shouldn't be allowed to get get away with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And my argument was about that long and about that polished. And and, uh, then this DOJ attorney stands up and he starts blathering things about court cases, this and statutes that. And he went on and on for 15 or 20 minutes. And I didn't know what the heck the guy was talking about. And I'm not sure he did either. But when he he was done, the judge looked directly at him and pointed at me. And he said, he's right. And he slammed the gavel. Mm. And I thought, well, this is easy. Yeah. You know, I was I was able to stop the IRS, and, and and basically I've been stopping them ever since. But here's the fascinating part of the story. You see, in between the time that my dad got in trouble with the IRS in the first place and in the time that we found ourselves in that courtroom in Minneapolis five, six years later, he got involved in the so-called tax protester movement. And these are the folks that say that the taxes are illegal or they're unconstitutional, uh, or the, 15th, the Fifth Amendment applies, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And you've heard all that, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Well, my dad got hip deep into that stuff the way that most people do they're desperate looking for a solution to a problem they can't otherwise seem to solve and so it it seems like this is going to be a fix right well it's it's never a fix it almost always just makes things worse but the point here is that he was associated with these groups of tax protesters around the twin cities area and and he had all these tax protesters buddies well there was a hundred people in the courtroom that day Andy and and, about, and, and they were all my dad's tax protester buddies. They all had IRS problems. Uh, so by the time I got home to my mother's house, they were lined up at the door. Oh, you said They said, can you help me with my tax problem? And I said, sure, baby, I'm undefeated. Let's go. Here. <laughs> and so it, it quite literally was an instant practice. And I, I approached every question, every problem that I saw exactly based on the two questions that I stumbled onto in my mother's case. And the two questions were, number one, what is the IRS doing in this case? What action are they trying to take? And number two, what does the law allow them to do? And I discovered that the answers to those two questions were were completely different, diametrically opposed in at least half the cases. In other words, they were cheating blind, not following their own rules half the time.
0: I mean, I think the, I think the whole point is that most people, when they get hit with something from the IRS, like, you know, oh. You know, you were $4, you know, I get I get things here and there, you know, that, oh, you know, we owe you money or you owe us money for something that you may have, you know, a couple of days here or there or something. You know, you know what I'm talking about, those little things that come with sure. with various um, uh, reference to, let's say, payroll taxes and things like that. And you know, like, you're like, uh, you know, am I going to argue over this or that? Or when it gets bigger, I think people get into a different mode of, oh, my God, the, the IRS has so much power and they have so many – um, educated people that they must be right. You know what I'm saying? That they don't even oh, oh, don't,
1: listen. Right. You put your, you put your finger on exactly the key problem. Why people don't push back against the IRS. They, they believe the IRS is so powerful and they're just going to run them over. Yeah. And number two, they think, oh. well, the IRS must be right. Yeah. They, they, they must know what the law is. They must know what the rules are. If they say I messed up and owe them five grand, I guess I them five grand. And the thing is this, and and I document this in my book how to win your tax audit and I've talked about this for years the IRS's own internal statistics on audit appeals and he showed that the IRS's auditors are wrong 60 to 90% of the time in the uh, results they come up with wow N- not only is the IRS not always right they're almost never right wow that that's a big number 60 to 90% that's extraordinary it's extraordinary and depending on what issue we're talking about the the ratio goes higher for example if we're talking about deductions and so on that falls to the lower side of the spectrum but when we're talking about income where the irs alleges that a taxpayer earned income they didn't report on their tax return what they call what we call an under reporter where they say you know you had fifty thousand dollars worth of income you didn't report or two hundred thousand dollars worth of income from this or that they're wrong ninety percent of the time yeah because well
0: I can see that happening quite regularly, where they get a cross of information that it's, you know, somehow they didn't get the right information in, or they look, they, you know, something was, uh, uh, you know, sent that shouldn't have been because there's a lot of players involved in in business, right? You know, sending things oh, back for sure. and forth.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. One of the key culprits here is information returns that the IRS collects that 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 just simply don't tell the whole story. Let me give you an example. I got a case on my desk right now. All right. The IRS is alleging that this lady and I just I'm just going to get going with the tax court case. Uh, my deadline is, is early December, so I'm going to move here this month on this. Uh, the IRS says this lady owes her owes them one hundred and seventy three thousand dollars on the sale of property. And this and this alleged unreported income of uh, of, of, you know, five or six hundred thousand is, is alleged to be from the sale of a home. All right, well, the IRS gets this 1099 when, when the lady sold her home. But the fact of the matter is, this was the sale of a principal residence oh. and by law, not a nickel of it is taxed. Throw it out,
0: throw it out, you win.
1: And, and so, and so now we have to go through all these hoops to demonstrate that she doesn't owe them a penny. When in fact, if there was just an inquiry on the front end, as opposed to this you know, shoot first and never bother to ask questions. If there was a simple inquiry on the front end, this could have been resolved with one letter, a half a dozen pages of documents, end of story. Now we got to go to court. Wow. That just seems a little
0: out of of reach or over the usual course for something like this because that's kind of a... Standard issue. I mean, unless they're presenting something different in the case, but that's usually a standard issue that your primary resident is exempt under certain conditions.
1: Well, that, that that's exactly right. But what happens is it's the IRS has a program, Andy, called the Automated Under Reporter Program. All right. This is a computer program. It's a it's a sophisticated computer program that compares all of the information returns, W-2s and 1099s, that are filed with the IRS. Now keep in mind there's about 3.8 billion of these information returns <laughs> filed with the IRS. Right. And the number goes up every single year. All right. So, so right now we're talking about 3.8 Then that's with a B now 3.8 billion information returns. So when you sell a house, one of the types of information returns that the IRS in, ends up with is a 1099. When the, when the closing company, the title company prepares that 1099, they don't check any boxes about whether this was a principal residence and how long you owned it, and if you lived there for five years, and any of these questions that come into play in determining whether it's taxable. They t- nor, nor do they determine what your basis in the residence may be. Maybe you don't even qualify for exclusion of the capital gain amount from taxation, but let's say you sell the, f- the house for 500000 but you bought it for four ninety. Yeah. Well, in that case, only ten thousand right. dollars of the proceeds sure. is taxable, right? Right. But the closing company sends a ten ninety nine to the IRS that says you got five hundred right. thousand dollars no,
0: because the basis they didn't they didn't did send it yeah they didn't bother to fill out that one line
1: exactly right and it happens every single time so the IRS gets this it gets key punched in it doesn't get key punched they're automatically loaded they're mis- it's, they're sent in machine readable <laughs> format so nobody's key punching the stuff yeah. it just goes automatically in. And now the computer is doing the comparison, right? All right. So the computer right. program looks at your tax return and you've reported your $32,000 from social security income, but now you've got this 1099 that says you had another 500,000 on top of it. Guess what? They send you a bill. So
0: with all of this going on, it's the same thing and the same question all the time that I keep keep coming back to, right? Which is every single time, that I start really getting into the idea of taxes and issues and problems and successes and all that. I, I, I come back to the same question is why does this tax code have to be so complicated?
1: Well, the, 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 the simple, the simple answer, <laughs> which is what you're looking for is that it doesn't have to be so complicated. The, 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 the question is why is it complicated? Not why does it have to be? It does not have to be. It's complicated for a couple of reasons. First of all, Uh, And I think this is the primary reason, is that the Internal Revenue Code has become much more, and tax policy in general, has become much more about instituting somebody's definition of social justice than it is about collecting revenue. The the Congress in the United States uses the tax code to pick winners and losers in the marketplace. They use the tax code- Say say again.
0: I I was saying that's true. I mean, you look at, let me interrupt for one second. Look at just what we saw recently. Just this one item, one item, which is that there was a change in the recent stimulus package to the tax code, a few things, or we'll not call it the tax code, we'll call it a tax item. Whereas if someone is to buy an electric vehicle and they go to a shop that is union versus non union, there's a difference in the tax credit that you'll get in this tax code, right? This tax information or related. There's yep. a five thousand dollars. You get twelve thousand five for a shop that's union, like a Ford or GM, or seventy five hundred from let's say a company like a Tesla, which is non union.
1: Yep, and 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 that is precisely to my point. The the Congress is using the tax code to punish behavior that they deem. Undesirable and reward behavior that they deem desirable. Now, the problem with that, apart from the economics of it, the problem with that is the definition of social justice changes about every two years. Every time you get a new mix of of Congress people and senators that are in there, and of course, the White House shifts gears every four years, generally speaking and so you've got this constant mix of tax law changes that have nothing to do with raising revenue it's all about simply picking winners and losers in the marketplace if we got all of the if we got all of the quote unquote uh, social issues out of the tax code i i am completely convinced that we would cut the size of the tax code by you know 60 or 70% or more the other problem is is that the uh, the tax code is that congress people Use the tax code as a form of congressional currency. They buy and sell legislative favors, Correct. trading chips in the tax code Ugh. as as the means of doing it. Oh, right? It's 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 the it's the currency for for paying off favors, and and then third on the list is oh by the way maybe we should collect some revenue. Well, if we if we scrub the first two things out of out of the process and use the tax code solely for the means of collecting revenue, we we would have a tax code that's one tenth the size of what it is now or less. You know, I'm sorry
0: I asked because it's depressing. The answer, <laughs> uh, it, it really is. It's 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 troubling that that we have to go as, as citizens as taxpayers that we have to go through all of this incredible amount of of. You know, the circusry the 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 uh, the uh, the political circus that is involved with all this is really I, I find it to be a very disheartening and discouraging situation that we know is happening we we kind of uh, understand it, but it's it let's get into something else. let's talk about well, well, I, well,
1: well, well let, me, let me say this the constitution of the united states article one section eight lays out a very narrow set of circumstances under which the congress is allowed to use the taxing power of the federal government and 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 it's and it's very simple to pay the debts of the nation to provide for the national defense and to provide for general welfare the word general read as applying to everybody not specific Target demographics or or or, or financial uh, or or economic categories of citizens, right? General mm-hmm. welfare, helping everybody, and 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 if and if the Congress of the United States would stick with that call, and the Supreme Court would hold Congress to that call, I'm telling you, eighty or ninety percent of the rules in the tax code would be gone. All right, and we we just we just simply now now let, let me illustrate something else here now talking about the changes in the tax code to meet this definition of social justice. Just since 2001 alone, this is, this is not hyperbole. Now you can check this out with the office of the national taxpayer advocate. They got a link on the IRS's website. You're going to depress IRS. me
0: more now. Go ahead. Continue. Gonna, yeah, I know, I know it's well, coming. You
1: know, it, it gets worse here <laughs> just since 2001 alone. And this is not including what's happened in the last 18 months now. So this is up through basically the end of 2019. There have been, Fifty nine hundred changes to the Internal Revenue Code. Mm. Five thousand nine hundred changes to the Internal Revenue Code just since two thousand one alone. Not even counting what's happened in the last in the last eighteen months. And we've got a tax law that now consists of about four million words. Mm. No, there's nobody on the planet that can that can convince me that that is necessary to run the legitimate functions of the United States government. It is unnecessary, it's unreasonable, it's over the top, and it's and, and, and it's outrageous.
0: But it keeps into it in business. It keeps the entire C- CPA lot in business. It, it, it makes it difficult for anybody else. plus it makes it that much more potential for the IRS to collect money. Uh, due to the fact uh, of people not understanding. You know, it's funny. In the business of investing, many years ago, they came up with laws that required companies like mutual funds, investment advisors, to have plain English in order to provide information on products. Because it was so convoluted, all these different, you know, hundreds right. of pages of a prospectus of, what does this even say? Nobody, nobody can read that stuff, right? Right, right, and, right? So Congress legislated that we have to have plain English, easy to read for individuals because we want to make sure they make good decisions. But yet we have the tax code which is so difficult to understand. And when you read it, sometimes, as you probably will agree with me, you need to read the same thing three or four times, and then you, hold, you have no idea that even after you understand that entire section, if there's some other section somewhere else in the code that would strike this or enhance it or change it.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and as a matter of fact, it's worse than that. You could have two people of reasonable intelligence read a particular provision of the Internal Revenue Code and come away with two completely different understandings as to what it means. And and so you've got the ambiguity there and and, and the and the, the lack of certainty and, and and so forth. And and it's and it's troubling. It's it's there's no question about it. It's it's out way past out of control. The national taxpayer advocate made a comment one time that she said the tax code is mind-numbingly complex and and it's and it's it's impossible for the typical person to figure out what they're supposed to do in many, not all cases, but many cases. Some aspects are pretty simple. If you're a W-2 wage earner, you put your W-2 wages on the tax return and you go to the charts and you figure out your taxes and okay, fine. And and that's simple enough, but the minute you move away from that W-2 into areas where you've got, maybe you've got investment income, like you said, maybe there's real estate income, maybe there's self-employment income, maybe you're a a shareholder in an S corporation that you're providing services for, now, and and particularly real estate investing, I'm telling you the rules with respect to real estate investing are insanely complicated. Mm, Right, right.
0: Let's kind of go through some of the things that we need to talk to you about for our listeners. And there's a lot of things that happened since last year that are new and improved. (laughs) What are some of the things, just kind of, uh, have you have some ideas of some things that may be uh, newer in the tax law that people should know about?
1: Well, one thing is that uh, for small business owners... Is there was uh, well? There's good news and bad news with respect to all small business owners. The bad news is that that entertainment expenses uh, that you incur as a business owner are no longer tax deductible. Entertainment expense. So if you've got a client uh, that's either a an existing client or prospective client, and you have uh, you know a need or a desire to to uh, to interact with that client, rub elbows, schmooze the client, either move them to the next step as an existing customer or client, or get them signed up as an existing customer or client. You want to engage them in some, uh, some meaningful discussion. You decide to have an entertainment activity, like you take them to a baseball game, for example, the cost of that baseball game is no longer legally deductible as a small business owner. Now that's the bad news. Uh, the good news is that there was, uh, now, now it, along with that, is there was a great deal of confusion about whether the entertainment expenses also include also included the disallowance of meal expenses, because meals and entertainment are often thought of in the same breath when you talk about deductions for small businesses. And in fact, if you look at the tax return for small businesses, the Schedule C, you'll see meals or you did see meals and entertainment on the same line. So they were treated the same way. So people panicked and thought, well, now we can't write off business meals. No, that's not true. The business meals have not been touched but entertainment expenses have. So if you take a client to a baseball game and you have a meaningful business conversation either before, during, or after the entertainment event, the entertainment expenses aren't, deductible but the meal expenses are so you buy the tickets for the baseball game the baseball the tickets aren't deductible but at the game you buy you buy burgers and and, and beer but that is deductible because that's a meal expense that incurred
0: or a, or you or you do what ahead. smart people do you buy a 250 dollar burger for you and your guest and you get a free baseball game
1: well, it, yeah, that that would that would be that would be one way to look at it, but but the IRS is regu- they thought of that. Yeah, of course. Uh, the, the IRS regulations will specifically say that the cost of the burger if if you're paying one price for, for tickets and food, then un, unless the cost of each item is separately stated on the invoice, the whole thing's gonna be treated as entertainment and disallowed. So so uh, they're, they're a step ahead of you, I'm, I'm sorry to say. But now more good news with respect to meals. As part of the uh, uh, the, the Reconciliation Act that was passed December of last year that took effect January of 2021, meal expenses for businesses are now 100% deductible through 2021 and 2022. So whereas previously they were deductible at the rate of 50%, now they're 100% deductible. So, so that's, that's some good news for businesses. Mm. And, and so, you know, you need to keep, you need to understand as a small business owner, you have not lost your deduction for meals. You have lost your deduction for entertainment. Make sure that your meal and entertainment costs are stated separately and you'll get a hundred percent deduction for the meals. Whereas in the past it was just 50. That's a good one. What else we got? That's something. That's good. We'll take it. That's something. Take anything. Take anything. You you got you got the economic uh, impact payments that that people are receiving and there's a great deal of confusion about that and the confusion is uh, whether the economic income pa- uh, income uh, the F- economic impact payments are are taxable income or not? They are not taxable income, and a lot of people say, "Well, okay, if I didn't get my full economic impact payment, what does that mean?" Uh, that means you get a credit on the tax return for the portion of the payment you did not receive. So you're either going to either got a check. And this is in 2021 now as well. We know it happened in 2020, but it also went on in 2021, uh, and then they started sending those checks out in what January, February, and they went through the they went through the the summer months in a lot of cases. So if you didn't get a check, you're going to have to you're going to have to make sure that you that you fill out the portion of the tax return. Make sure you talk about this with your tax pro if you're using one. Fill out the portion of the tax return that calculates the credit because you still get the benefit of the credit whether you got the check or not. If you did get the check, then you got to you got to fill out the portion of the form that makes the adjustment for that. So so that's uh, that's something else to keep in mind. The, the other thing I recommend that people do is understand that, uh, you know, come come January or December 31st, the curtain closes on deductions for 2021. Right. Uh, there, there's there's only one expense you can incur, Andy, after. December thirty first, twenty twenty one, and still get a deduction in twenty twenty one, and that's for a contribution to a newer or existing am, IRA yeah, uh, right. retirement account, a qualified mm-hmm. retirement account. Mm-hmm. You can you can designate that payment to the prior year, but that's the only thing. All right. So if you're a cash basis taxpayer, which the overwhelming majority of people are, uh, you claim your deductions in the year the money is spent. So now is the time to take a good look at your business situation. Say to yourself, Am I going to need to incur some some equipment expenses. Let's say you know the copy machine in the office is worn out. We need new computers. The chairs are broken. Whatever that case may be. If you had uh, if you had income increases in 2021. That might or will increase your tax liability. Uh, now, over the next five weeks, six weeks, whatever we have left here, seven weeks would be the time to go out and buy new furniture, new new ta- new computers, whatever you need, and get the deduction in 2021 to offset that higher income. All right. What happens is people almost always wait until their tax return is prepared by their pre- tax pro. So now they're sitting down with the tax pro in March yeah. of 2022. <laughs> Should I buy a computer? Yeah, exactly. They they see the tax bill for eighteen grand and they say how do I well, offset that? Know, how do I reduce that? exactly. How do I reduce that? How about <laughs> if I go buy computers? I need new computers. Well, dude, you're two months too late now. Well, that I also that, that also goes. That, into,
0: wait, wait, wait. This this also goes into the old school line of what you deal and how you how you um, your relationship with your CPA or your accountant, which is pretty much, hey, it starts somewhere about February or so. It ends in like end of April. Right Where you start gathering the information, putting it together in February, get it over to them, wait, 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 you know, you're continually waiting, and then what happens, right? So the thing, though, is that I would, I would respectfully say that that whole idea needs to be turned on its head a little bit. You oh, yeah, should be no, having a conversation with your CPA right now.
1: Well, and as a matter of fact, I'll take it a step farther. You need to be having a conversation, particularly if you're a small business owner, especially if you're a small business owner, not so much for W-2 people, but absolutely for small business owners, you need to be having a conversation with your tax pro once a month. Every single month, you should be looking at a current year-to-date profit and loss statement What's going on in my business right now? My income's up or down. The expenses are up or down. We're zigging and zagging in this direction or that direction. And you need to do that for two reasons. Number one, small business owners have an affirmative duty to make estimated payments of their tax liability throughout the course of the year. That has to be done quarterly. So at a minimum, You have to have this conversation with your CPA on a quarterly basis. Secondly, to avoid the thing that we were just talking about, the $18,000 tax bill in March, you need to see that coming. And the only way to see that coming is to have this ongoing relationship, uh, at least quarterly, ideally monthly, so you can see what's going on. So along about November the 12th, when you just finished your, your October PL with your, with your uh, tax pro. And he says, you know, uh, Andy, your income's up a hundred grand this year. That's a $20,000 tax liability. You know, maybe you should give some thought to new computers or, or, uh, or, uh, you know, that big fat copy machine or whatever the situation is so that, yeah, okay. You got to spend the money to get the deduction, but at least you've got the economic benefit of the equipment that you bought with the money that otherwise would have gone to the government.
0: Hmm. What about individuals though? They, 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 there's things they could do starting now to get themselves not only organized, but maybe figuring out ways to make sure they have uh they, they can't necessarily take a deduction for business expense, right? We know that, but they right. can be doing things like making sure that they don't at last minute provide all the information to the accountant and then maybe miss something, right? You know, get, have a little bit of prep prep going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and for, for individuals, uh, that, that our W-2 folks are not necessarily self-employed, they too, Andy, have a responsibility to make estimated payments to the IRS. Now, they don't make estimated payments the way self-employed people do. They make estimated payments through wage withholding. All right, now, one of two things happens typically with wage withholding. Number one, most commonly, is people overpay their taxes. All right, the typical tax refund for, for tax year 2019 in 2020 was about 3,500 bucks. All right. If you get a tax refund from the IRS, it's not because they got religion and decided to send you free money. Although some of that happened in 2020 and 20 with the economic in cap, impact payments, but the fact of the matter is, you generally get a tax refund because you overpaid your taxes. You paid too much. So what you need to do as a as a as a wage earner, W two wage earner, is look at your withholding situation in December figure out and and do a a rough calculation of your, of your tax liability in December, say to yourself, am I going to get a big fat refund or not? If you're going to get a big fat refund, when the, when the calendar rolls over to 2022, adjust your withholding downward. So they're taking less money from you. So you get your withholding in your paycheck every month Mm -hmm. instead of lending it to the government interest free for over 12 months.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny because um, it's, it's, Nobody likes to, de- listen, nobody that I know likes to deal with the whole tax thing. It's like something you just have to do. It's like getting, a, you know, going to the dentist. It's, you know, you got to do it. And so you do it. But um, th- there there are people that, you know, are inclined to, to do it yourself. Um, they know they have to do this stuff and they have to get it done. Where is that demarcation point between, hey, I'm going to utilize a CPA or I'm gonna do it myself. Is there some, I don't know, rule of thumb?
1: Well or- well, yeah, that's a that's a good question. And and and, and where I would draw the line, uh, Andy, is with the W-2 form. If if your if your income is strictly W-two or Social Security income or maybe some simple pension income, uh and, and, and you don't have what we call, and you don't have what we would call Schedule A deductions, such as deductions for mortgage interest, charitable contributions, real estate taxes, that sort of thing, medical expenses, those things that would go on a Schedule A, uh, then you fall into the category of of literally two thirds of all Americans, right? Two thirds of all Americans uh, file file a simple tax return claiming W two income with no itemized deductions. Yeah, nothing at all. There-
0: just just take the standard deduction. Right. Put it, it, it fill out three things, sign it, send it in.
1: Right. Exactly. There's no reason on earth that a reasonably intelligent person can't read the, the instructions for, the, for those those blocks of things and get through it quickly and accurately all right especially all right. with computer software that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. The minute you introduce any complexities, I've got real estate investments I've got uh, market investments, stocks bonds savings accounts, crypto, any of that stuff. Uh, you, and particularly if you got a small business, Schedule C, you're a, you're a partnership, you're, you're a partner in a partnership, you're a shareholder in an S corporation, uh, you know, any of those types of complexities. Uh, and, and I underscore real estate investment, man, the rules for real estate investing are just so messed up. It's not even funny. You, you need to have professional help that's got experience in the area that you're dealing with. All right so if, if you got a schedule C business uh you're operating uh, you know I don't care what it is if it's a plumbing business or a or a, or a, or, a, or, a, or a, a lawyer you know it to make any difference what it is make sure that you get a, a tax pro that's got experience in that area and that you have a relationship with the tax pro that's more than just going to the dentist once a year to get your teeth cleaned All right. You go to the dentist to get your teeth cleaned, but the dentist doesn't brush your teeth for you and he doesn't floss. And those are things you got to do every day, right? That's what they tell you. So you got to have a relationship with your tax pro so that you can sit down with this person once a month, at least at the very least, once a quarter, go through the year to date profit and loss, see where you're at, uh, recognize early on if you got a zig or zag to keep your situations under control. And the other thing is the the biggest mistake that people make, and this is true of W-2 Two people as well. They make changes in their life that are significant that they don't address with their tax pro until the year's over with in February, right. March of the next year, right? Right, right.
0: The classic thing is like selling a big chunk of stock and not thinking about what the ramifications were with regard to capital gains.
1: That, that's exactly right. But think about this for a minute. Every single decision and change that you make in your life probably has tax consequences. But think about this. If you get married or divorced, there's tax consequences. If you have a new baby born to the family or a child leaves, turns 18, turns 20, moves out, there's tax consequences. If you buy a seller house, there's tax consequences. If you start a retirement account or start taking distributions from an existing retirement account, yeah. there's tax consequences. Sure. If you get a new job or quit, an uh, if, if you start a new job because you quit an old job, there's tax consequences. You can't do anything in life that doesn't have tax consequences. You got to keep your tax pro in the loop on that.
0: Hmm. I need something uplifting from you. Let's, uh, let's find something here. Uh, <laughs>
1: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good good luck with that
0: <laughs> love dad don't come back uh anyway so uh <laughs> what, how, about, what? how
1: about interest rates andy there's some good news in oh, our future oh, interest rates
0: oh what the, no. what, the, what they're going up
1: yeah they're going up they, i don't know if you saw the report from the uh from the federal reserve the, 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 uh, the vice president of the federal reserve says, yeah, we missed our estimates on interest, uh, you know, on, on inflation rather, uh, you know, we're, we're, we missed it by double, you know, they're, they're, they're anticipating 2% right. inflation. It's closer to 4%. And look what's happening in the housing segment, in the food segment, in the energy segments, uh, and that's not going to end anytime soon, unfortunately, I don't think. I don't know what you think, but that's right. Oh, yeah. no, there's I, definitely I,
0: inflation. I'll tell you quickly uh, on that. But the thing that, you, that, that is isn't related to this uh, tax-wise is that um, Social Security recipients and uh, various recipients of, of, of um, uh, payments that are linked to inflation are going to get one of the biggest jumps in annual increase of payments due to the inflation or the cost of living or COLA adjustment. So if you're on Social Security you're going to get a big whopping
1: increase, uh, well, 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 yeah, and, and that and that's great. And so the Social Security recipients get a two and a half percent increase, and the inflation rate's four and a half. So, so how's that help? No, I thought they're getting like a five percenter. Did they? I didn't see. I, oh, I thought it was a pretty big it, one. Yeah, I think there's a it, big one. All right. Well, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, you know, I, listen, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I might be just, I might be just pessimistic here, but you, you, you know, they, you, yeah, yeah uh, they, they, <laughs> they, they pumped, listen, they pumped, you know, this better than I do. Yeah. They, they pumped $6 trillion yeah. worth of fiat money into the marketplace here in the last 18 months. Yeah. And they're not done yet. Correct. They're not done yet. In fact, I'd say they're just getting warmed up. And I think I think if this continues over the next two years, you're going to see a loaf of bread cost in 18 bucks.
0: Listen, I mean, I've seen already what what the incredible move on inflation does to all sorts of things. And, you know, it's, it was before this too, but it really exacerbated itself. And I'll just give you one little quick point that I've been telling my listeners, so they're probably going to be bored about this. But the idea of, of transitory inflation, I could share with you that, yes, let's pretend for a moment, just for a second here, that I say, yeah, it's going to be transitory right transitory it's going to be fine it's going to be temporary just like by the way the runaway inflation back in the 80s was also transitory it eventually stops right however the one thing that they're not telling you why why they they're they're creating this whole mystique about this it's hey it's only transitory is this Inflation eventually does come down, unless you're in Venezuela or somewhere else that gets crazy, okay? But it's gonna go to four, it's gonna go to five, six, maybe seven or eight percent, but then it's gonna come back to normal two percent, but or whatever around there. But realize something they're making the notion and trying to project that it's only temporary and that prices will come down in the future. Isn't that kind of what they're saying, right? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what they're saying. However, here's the point very simple math the rate of inflation will come down. I totally agree with that. It can't just keep going on and on it Just because then things get crazy. What's going to happen, though, is the prices that have escalated, increased over the last year or so, that have doubled, let's say, or has gone up 12% or 15% is now only going to grow at 2% per year. Prices are not going to come down. If prices came down that would be deflationary and the Fed would have nothing to do with it. They would not allow that to happen. They would bring interest rates down and cause more inflation to enter the economy. So this whole um th- th- this whole uh uh kind of wag the the, the tail this 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 uh, you know the, the 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 tail's wagging the dog this whole concept of of this transitory is is um is uh it is just a fool's errand. It's just not well well,
1: well, it's a fool's errand, and, and, and not just for the reason you just stated, you're exactly right. If if inflation drives the price of a donut to ten dollars, uh, because it was you know five, six, seven percent inflation, and now the donut's ten bucks, and inflation drops to two percent, it's two percent of a ten dollar donut. All right, so 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 you got that problem for sure. But here's the other, the other thing that people need to wrap their heads around, and I promise you they don't, because people don't understand inflation. Inflation always and everywhere is caused only by one thing, mm. and that's the increase in purchasing power where there's no relative increase in productivity. Right, and, and there's only one entity on the planet that can cause that, and that's government. By inserting fiat money into the marketplace where the market can't keep up in the form of production with the increased purchasing power. All right, we've seen trillions pumped into the marketplace, and then we've seen the additional problem of artificial pressure, downward pressure on production. We sent everybody home for six months, and people still aren't going back to work. Yeah, the great great resignation. And we've got hundreds of tankers. That are that are anchored <laughs> offshore on the west coast, and we can't get products to the marketplace. But the ta- but, but but Bitcoin's up. <laughs> Bitcoin's up. <laughs> I, I don't. I, you know, I don't even know what to make of. Here's Bitcoin, the point, but, though.
0: Here, let me but, just kind of back you up on something here, sure. uh, and and go back and dovetail into this discussion that you're having right now. With the next question, which I think is an important consideration with all that you've said and all we talked about, the concept of inflation and more people possibly working or, or at least lower productivity on that, because that, we did see some terrible capacity utilization and productivity numbers, which was very surprising to me recently. Like They were trailing in, uh, or trending in the right direction, and then they started getting a little bit wonky again. Tax rates in the future, quick thought, higher or lower?
1: Four, oh, they're going higher. They have to be going higher. higher, Right. Absolutely. If nothing else, the the the, the top rate of 37 percent, looking at the last the last chart that I saw put out by the House Democrats, of course, it's changing once a week. So we're not, not going to know until we know. But but the House Democrats want two surcharges on the top. Bracket of thirty-seven percent, not one but two, that would create that would create a forty-three and a half percent top tax bracket. Uh, they say, well, it's only the richest uh, oh, yeah. people making four hundred thousand. Well, that's just total BS. You know it, and I know it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but eventually that 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 sinks down into into the middle class because that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it,
0: it seems to me that if we spend uh, a, we put on the balance sheet um, six trillion, another two trillion, and miscellaneous bonds being purchased and then have uh, three or four stimulus bills of another 5 trillion, whatever the numbers are, seems that, I don't know, somebody's going to have to pay this back one day.
1: Well, and that, and that's the, that's the part of this whole debate that, that that's troubling me really more than anything else. They're not even talking about no, how to pay for it. Now, You know, you look back me. five, six, eight, 10, 12, 20 years ago, the discussion was, well, yeah, we want this extra program for this or that. And then somebody would always say, How are we going to pay for it? We got to try this, we got to do this. How about we try that? They're not even talking about that now. It doesn't even enter the question at this point in time.
0: Yeah, I, I, it's, un- I, I it's really I,
1: unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it.
0: It's 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 this whole MMT, the concept that you could keep borrowing and a government could keep borrowing and paying off and giving money to its citizens without the requisite requirement. Of paying it back for extraordinary lengths of time. And well, he,
1: it's 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 the fallacy of Keynesian economics. Correct. And, uh, uh, and to an Andy, extreme. W- to an extreme. To an extreme. All we got to do is keep borrowing, 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 and we don't have to pay it back. We don't have to pay it back because eventually we're all dead. Correct. But the
0: problem is that doesn't exactly work like that. No, of course. The not. only the, what, what it works like is that they're in office only for a certain amount of time, and they don't have to deal with it after the fact. That's the length of time that they're right. really concerned about.
1: Exactly right. So now the question is, how young are your kids, and what about your grandkids, and what kind of a mess are they going to be faced with?
0: We're not. We're going to the moon. Elon said
1: we're going to the we're going we're to the moon. Going we're going to, to Mars. Moon. We're just going to make a run for it. We're going, going to Mars. It? <laughs> we'll do it. Yeah, exactly. And then and then and then the Marxists will follow everybody to the moon, and they'll establish their free giveaway programs on the Correct. moon and wreck that economy too. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Dan Pillar, always a pleasure talking with you kind of back to basics on some major tax issues, items that we need to know about for the end of the year, as well as uh, everything in between. Always uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks. We'll have all the information on Dan, his, how many books? 15 books or so now that you have yeah, out. Yeah, 15 books. It's just 15 books. Uh, and th- those will all be on the Discipline Investor, on the show notes for episode 740, as well as how to get in touch with Dan and everything you need to know. Thanks so much for being here. We'll talk to you soon, Dan. My pleasure. That's going to do it for this edition, this episode of the Discipline Investor Podcast. Just a quick reminder, if you're here thinking about, uh, hey, what's some questions I may have, what's happening in the future, remember we have that webinar coming up next month. You can register early. There's no uh, no problem for that. Go over to thedisciplineinvestor.com, either in the show notes for this episode or on the right sidebar there, there's a big old area to click to say register. So register yourself and get ready for the December 15th webinar on uh, what's ahead for 2022. Thanks so much for joining me. It's Andrew Horowitz checking out. See you again next week as we are going to continue on with our series about back to basics and talking about some of the things related to investing. So we're going to really get involved in that. Again, thanks for joining me. I'll see you soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information Should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz and Company Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.